Welcome to the Team Kids Podcast with your host, Sam Hope. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our very first Team Kids Podcast. How exciting it is to finally launch something we've been talking about for a while, haven't we, Tash? We've been yep. thinking about this for a while. So it's, and what better time to do it when um, we're in the midst of an, a, a pandemic and uh, <laughs> people have got <laughs> lots of time on their hands. Um, by way of introduction, my name is Sam Hoth. I'm the founding director at Team Kids, and I'm very fortunate to be accompanied by two wonderful women who um, are going to chat to us a little bit more about um, what it's like to be a parent uh, in these times. And um, one of our special guests, uh, Heidi Rogers, um, comes with quite a bit of experience. So I might actually just get uh, Heidi and Tash to introduce themselves and we'll, um, we'll get stuck into some pretty interesting content. Heidi, tell us about yourself. Um, thanks for having me, by the way. It's fun to be here and fun to chat to you guys and chat to your community about um, all of what's going on and how I can use my skill set to help equip some of these families with some strategies and tips. Um, my background is the last 17 years I've worked in mental health, uh, ranging from working in a prison to... Uh, working with individuals, families, children, adolescents, um, whole family systems, and um, in the last few years been doing a lot of parenting stuff and doing uh, presentations and uh, working a bit more closely with parents and their children to improve things in their families. So, yeah, and I'm currently in private practice um, in East Bentley, and, um, yeah, that's what I do. My youngest client right now is... Uh, 11 and my oldest is 62. So I work across the lifespan and um, yeah, I have two kids of my own as well that are uh, four and six. So I'm, I'm in the trenches with a lot of your families that you guys work with too. Yeah. And you've done some really good sessions for our, for the team kids families. Uh, for those that don't actually know what Team Kids is, if you are listening to this and you're not a Team Kids family, we do before and after school care and holiday programs. So we partner with a, a huge range of um, public and private schools to offer that, those services. But part of what we also do with our with the schools is we try to value add as much as we can for the schools and for the parents that are at that school where we provide a range of different information sessions. And, and Heidi's been fantastic to partner with in offering a range of different um, sessions just on managing children's uh, uh, what is to raise a child and, and also managing specifically anxieties and, yeah. uh, and issues around that as well, which has been which has been wonderful, really well received by um, our, our parent parent groups. Um, and we also have Tash. Mm-hmm. Hi, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about um, yourself, Tash. Okay, cool. Um, sorry, my name's Tash, um, marketing manager for Team Kids and a parent of a seven and a nine-year-old. Both boys, both very rambunctious and very much looking for some little golden nuggets to take <laughs> away from this. Um, as we were talking about in our little intro before we started rolling about, you know, um, ways in which I can we can get through to the other side and we still like each other. So that would mm-hmm. be really nice. Um, so, yeah, that's that's pretty much um, uh, all that I – my intro that I need to ask and um, and to offer. So, yeah, pretty much um, over to, to you, Heidi, and okay. maybe we can uh, start asking, like, the first question, if I make it, ask the first yeah. question. So, okay. this has come from one of our parents on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it's from a lovely lady called Jessica and she's wondering what advice you might have with regards to mental health mm -hmm. for our school age kids, um, managing anxiety, etc. with everything that's going on with COVID-19 mm -hmm. um, and also talking about the daily routine as well. So just different ways to sort of manage them at this time. That's a pretty mm -hmm. big question, but um, yeah. yes, over yeah. to you. Well, it's a meaty one, so I'll, I'll, I'll jump in with where we can start with that. So first thing that piqued my interest was um, she mentioned the word routine and that the routine is quite different right now, and that's a really good place to start because that's one of the quickest ways you can build resilience for kids and for families in general is by having a routine. Obviously, our routine right now is way different because none of our usual stuff is happening. You know, we're not going to work, we're not going to school. So the routine is totally out of whack. Even the routine of um, saying goodbye to your children and then being reunited and having that like kind of nice highlight of the day, that's gone. And in turn, then we're just with our kids constantly. And so it's, we're missing that kind of nice bit of like the reconnection and, and oh, I missed you. Like we're not missing them because we're with no. them constantly, you know, <laughs> not missing them at all. No. So <laughs> that is definitely. Um, when hard. they're sleeping, when they're sleeping. Yes, when they're sleeping. Um, so it's very, very hard right now. So I always say when you're in a situation, like when you're in flux, when you're in crisis, when you know, say you have one child who is stuck in hospital or a parent is in hospital or something just really changes to the, this, the environment, which is what we're going through right now, a lot of change to our environment, um, get a different routine going. So that could be um, every morning we go for a walk around the block or a scoop or every morning. And it doesn't have to be fancy. It could be like we watch cartoons while we have breakfast, like just whatever is consistent and then reliable because that is actually a really great way to build safety and security for children is routine mm -hmm. and I know what's coming and if you can depending on how like Pinterest Pinteresty you are and crafty you can do just like a, get a sheet of paper on the wall that just has you know and it doesn't need to be timed but it can be like breakfast then we go for a walk then we do um, free time it, it doesn't really matter what's on there then we do schoolwork um, the thing is you just want to have some basic flow of what it is that we're doing, but not focused and geared on time because that's a schedule and we don't really have schedules right now because it's like, I work whenever, there's no nine to five, you know, like it's just everything is all over the place. So you want to have it more stuff that we do. And I also think getting something that is um, something to look forward to is a really good thing for kids. Like, it, like a daily look forward to something? Daily, yeah. Ooh, okay. A daily, because otherwise the day is just so like, bleh, like it's yep. so broad, you know? Like, so I think if, if it's say at three o'clock, we're going to walk up to um, the, like, I don't know about you guys, but we have a few cafes that are still open for takeaway. So we'll walk up to our nearest cafe and we'll get a uh, hot chocolate or marshmallows or just something to like, you know, literally a dangling carrot to like get them to go mm. do that. And that they look forward to, or we go, cause my kids are littler. We're doing, you know, bear hunts where we walk through the neighborhood looking for people who put bears in the windows, treasure hunts. I don't know, just anything or iPad time. Like that could be the thing that they look forward to um, later in the day. So that's answering the routine bit. Um, does that all make sense? I can go into the anxiety mm. bit yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. One, one question about that yeah. though is because I set up routines for my kids, uh -huh. but because I'm very organized, as Sam will know, I actually schedule it from one to one thirty. It's this. And that, okay. So 
should I still have a schedule but forget about the time? If it's causing you suffering, like, so I always say <laughs> suffering, suffering and pain yeah. is always my guide. So if okay, I'm yes. finding that we're suffering because I'm being a Nazi about one to one thirty, then throw the time out. But if you're finding that the one to one thirty is actually helping everyone to like, okay, stay on track or like we have 30 minutes of art time or 30 minutes of reading. It depends on the temperament of your kids too. Cause mm. like some kids thrive really well with a lot of structure yep. and some kids are just like, you're crazy lady. Like I'm not following that. So yeah, I think yep. you got to okay. just go with the temperament of your kids and for you, what works for you, you might find that that makes you sane. Um, yep. but yeah, just let suffering be your guide. I think. <laughs> that's gold. Um, I love yeah. it. Do you want me to go into a little bit of anxiety and managing that? I mean, that's right. kind of, that's a big, that's a big one, obviously with what's going on. Okay. So where do we start with anxiety? Oh my Lord, this is such a big one. Okay. I actually just did a three part webinar series that was like, three 90 minute sessions. So like there's so much to do with anxiety. So I'll just, I'll try to consolidate my favorite bits. So the first thing to understand with anxiety is the two parts of the brain that are kind of playing when anxiety comes on. There's the top part of your brain, which is the cortex. The cortex is the rational, responsible, understands consequence, forward planning, um, the kind of just responsible and like chill part of the brain. Mm. Then you have below that the amygdala, which is behind your eye, in through your ear. I always explain that to kids because I think they like to know where stuff sits in their brain. So I always say if you went through your eye and through your ear, that's where you'd find your amygdala. And it's amygdala because it's actually Greek for almond because it's almond shaped. So this little guy, your amygdala in your brain, is so frustrating, but it's basically the core of where anxiety comes from. The amygdala is that little guy in your, your brain that says, um, is the house burning down? And the cortex goes, no, no, it's just toast. It's just burning in the toaster. That's all it is. So amygdala is always mm -hmm. that guy that just immediately jumps to like, worst case scenario, we're all going to die. And then cortex comes in and goes, no, no, it's cool. It's cool. Like, it's not, you know, that's not a person. That's just your coat hanging up. You just can't see it until you turn the light on. It's that kind of just comforting mm -hmm. part of the brain. So what we want to be doing in situations like this, where there's massive anxiety everywhere, right? Because what's the core of anxiety? Uncertainty and discomfort. That's what anxiety is all about. What do we have a plethora of right now mm -hmm. in our world? Uncertainty and discomfort. We're, we're uncomfortable because everything's different. Everything's changed. I mean, I've had clients saying to me the last few weeks, I just want to be in the room with you. I don't like doing this on the phone and doing it through Zoom. I just wanted to go back to how it was. And people saying, I want it to go back to how it was with my kids being in school, with my work schedule, with getting a break for my kids. All of these things are different. And amygdala hates different, hates mm -hmm. change. Even if it's something good for you, like exercising or eating a salad instead of something unhealthy. Amygdala doesn't care about anything other than my routine, certainty, comfort. I like it how it is. Why? Because to the primal brain, because the amygdala is the, you know, the most primal part of the brain, it's the lizard part of the brain, we call it the reptilian brain. Its whole focus is on safety and security and keeping you safe. So if I know exactly what's happening and I have my beautiful little routine, I feel safe. But hang on, now there's a pandemic and everything is completely different. Amygdala mm. is going, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know what's happening. I don't know, I, uh, what? And amygdala is, oh, for all of us, our amygdalas are heightened right now and just a bit more alert and hypervigilant because there's so much change going on and so much different. I think you even see that too. I, I saw a stat the other day where there's, 
there's far less cars on the road currently, yeah. but accidents are through the roof because I think everybody's that much more on edge. Yes. Um, totally. And not being able to think mm-hmm. clearly because uh, everyone's maybe they're yeah, yeah. <laughs> firing too much. <laughs> exactly. Everyone's amygdalas are driving and not their cortex. And amygdala is all about hypervigilance and, you know, that's where like OCD or, you know, checking the locks and stuff, that's all in the amygdala. It's all amygdala because amygdala's sole focus is safety and security. So what we want to be doing right now is just sort of, I don't know, bringing it into our awareness that like that's what's happening for our kids and for us, that all of our amygdalas are like on steroids right now. They're all feeling on edge, which is why um, we're all a bit more irritable, which is why you might be not irritable. I don't know. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm not snapping. <laughs> no. I'm not snapping at anyone. Why are you saying that about me right now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so many parents that I've been working with the last few weeks, especially have been saying, it's like my kids open their mouth and I'm just irritated, you know, yeah. like it doesn't even matter what they say. And I'm just like, Oh, you know, and that's so normal. Like just to, just to validate that for everyone mm-hmm. right now, if you're feeling really compassionate and calm with your kids right now, like take a picture. That's amazing. Like yeah. no one is feeling like that right now. Or, or, or with your partner or anything. For oh, that totally. Yeah. yeah. All my clients have been saying I'm, fighting more with my partner. I'm being harsher on myself because I'm gaining weight or drinking more wine or not exercising enough. I have no motivation. I just feel lethargic all the time. Like, yes, dude, you are doing it right. That is, that is what everyone is doing. The people who are posting stuff on Instagram with like beautiful color coded schedules and like their beautiful meals. I just am like, like Like, that's not like, that is not real life. That is not real life. Yeah. I always say to, to my clients, especially my adolescents, um, Instagram is the highlights real dude. Like Instagram is not real life. That is anyone who's posting regularly on there. That's just, it's not real life. It's just, it's highlights, man. And that's, That's what I think we all got to remember right now, especially with how we're all feeling is how you're feeling right now. You just got to have compassion on yourself. Like that's the first place I think you got to start is being kind. And and I think, you know, I think it's really heartwarming hearing those words because I I do think everybody kind of feels like they may be feeling that way themselves and not really realizing everybody's actually very feeling, you know, we're all in this together in more ways than we realize. Totally. you know, totally. Even for myself, you know, running running ten kids from home, mm. um, and all my staff pretty much working from home. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah, it, it, you do feel like I've noticed in the last couple of days in particular. You know, cabin fever really kind of starts to set in, and I'm mm-hmm. getting down to myself because I'm not exercising as much as yeah. I and I'm going well. Okay, cool, do, do something about it. But then the, then there's the motivation side of things, and yeah. yeah. So I think it's I think it's and a common it's, thing. But I think it's pointing out what you just said of like the motivation thing is where this comes from. So it's not, this isn't a motivation thing right now. Like, um, you know, like weight loss isn't a motivation thing. Um, It's not about like trying hard. There's a lot of stuff that goes along neurologically, physiologically that Mm. prohibits us from getting up and doing more stuff right now. So if we think about what the amygdala is focused on right now, amygdala doesn't give a crap if you're losing weight or if you're eating healthy, all amygdala wants is for you to stay safe. And right now, that's where he's going to, like, that's what it's going to prioritize. So it's just survival, isn't it? 100%. Yeah. 100%. How how can we sort of move into a more of an acceptance 
phase with ourselves, you know, because like you were saying before with, um, with the pandemic, with everything that's going on, and it's happening to everyone. Yeah. But, and you were saying before, well, you know, this, this is, I said it to my husband the other day, this, this pandemic, it's just not working out for me. It's just not within my <laughs> schedule. It's not in my timeline. It yeah. should just come at another, like, it, you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. not, I didn't ask for this, so I don't know why yes. it's happening. Yeah. So, therefore, but then I sort of moved into a stage of acceptance where I was accepting where, you know what I mean? But it took a fair bit to get to the yeah. acceptance. Mm. So, I, yeah, how do you sort of transition from that ah, to sort of, yeah. you know, sometimes when you, you know, a problem a shared is a problem halved, how yeah. do you get to that happy place where you go, well, everyone else, and we always say, oh, we're in this together, but sometimes that doesn't take the sting yeah. away. Yeah, yeah. I think the, what, you're bringing, what you're bringing up are two things that come to my mind. One is that we're all experiencing mass grief and loss. Mm. So I think if you flip it and go, okay, let's pretend someone just died. Then you go, oh, well, then that makes sense. Makes sense. Why I'm yep. feeling lethargic and no motivation and finding really simple stuff hard, lower tolerance, lower capacity. Um, then it all makes sense, right? And then it's like, oh, I can have compassion on myself if I think about if someone died. Like, you know, I wouldn't expect myself to be training for a marathon, starting my own business, working on my side hustle right now, right? Because I'd be grieving. And um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross did, her life's work was on death and dying and grief and loss. And through all of her research, she came up with the five stages of um, oh, I love those stages. Grief, yeah, of grief yeah. and loss. It's actually on death and dying, but then it adapted to become more about grief. And everyone kind of thinks these are like linear, that you go through these stages in order, but you don't. So the stages of grief are, and I say them to to. I don't know, bring it into your awareness that these are the bits that you might be feeling throughout all of this because there's so much grief going on, like mm. financial stability, losing income. I have clients that had amazing trips planned this year to go around the world and they quit their jobs in December to like, oh, weddings, like so many horrible things are, mm. are being put on hold or not happening. So there's a lot of grief going on. Um, okay, so um, it's DABDA is the acronym. So denial, um, anger. Tick bargaining, uh, depression, and acceptance. Those are the five stages of grief. And they don't come in order. They come all over the place. And ah, that I, thought they were in a, I thought they were in a straight line. I'm going, no. yay, I'm yeah. at this stage. No, no, no okay. because if you look at an average day, yep. you'll, have, you'll feel angry at 9 a.m. At 10 a.m., you'll feel acceptance. At 11, you'll feel like in denial, like this cannot really be happening. Oh, my God, I'm stuck at home with the kids till July. And then... No, no, it's actually, I can do this. And it's like you just, you kind of float in between all of them. And then some people never, like with grief and loss, some people never experience um, depression. Some people never experience acceptance. Some people stay angry the whole time. So right. it's just, it's all over the place. And I just sort of remind, I've been reminding myself of those words the last few weeks to just go, okay, so right now I'm feeling depressed about all of this and I don't want to get off the couch. Okay, mm. that's where I'm at today. Um, the other thing that this brings up for me is, um, the term comparative suffering, which I've heard a lot from clients the last few weeks of going, well, I don't have it that bad as that family mm. over there. Well, at least I have a job. I might hate my job, but at least I have a job. Um, I shouldn't be complaining. Like, how dumb am I? I'm missing out on my European adventure. This is so stupid when there's people dying. Like, mm -hmm. I've heard so much of that. But the, the thing we have to remember with comparative suffering is it doesn't make you more compassionate when you minimize and don't empathize with yourself, it's actually, that's the reverse. When you don't extend empathy and compassion to yourself, 
and validate your experiences. Well, my experience is real. And for me, this is really hard because Mm. blah, blah, blah. You have to fill your own cup of empathy and compassion in order to pour into others and feel empathy and compassion to others. So when you start playing, I call it the pain Olympics, where you start to go, well, they have the gold medal because they've lost, you know, both parents have lost their jobs and they have a child with an autoimmune disorder. What am I complaining about? The world isn't pain Olympics because, dude, there will always be someone that wins. There will always be someone that beats you. It's not a way to live, to constantly do that because it doesn't extend any compassion and empathy to yourself. And if you extend compassion and empathy to yourself first, then it's like you settle your own heart, you comfort yourself, and Mm -hmm. then you're able to extend to others and have more compassion and empathy for others. Does that make sense? Oh, that's golden. That's Mm -hmm. definitely a nugget right there. Oh, good. (laughs) And because I always say that to... um, yeah, just to acknowledge what you're going through and not yes. to belittle it totally. because it's painful. For And I always use the analogy with my kids and it's not net that related to this, but it's a little bit like you're going down an aeroplane and you put the mask on first. Always. So you have, to, you have to look after yourself first yes. and acknowledge what you're going through and then yes. you're in a position to help others. Yes. Whereas if you're ah, gasping for it and then yes. you're like, ah, ah. Yes. So no, I think yep. that's absolutely wonderful because, yeah, you, you think to yourself, well, I'm not, in the line on Centelic, um, my kids are happy, healthy. They're not on a respirator. They're not all these things. So why aren't I happy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> why aren't I joyful? And I'm a fairly upbeat kind of gal, but yep. there are times when you just go, this, this just, it really super sucks. Yeah. Um, but to be, to acknowledge yourself, to acknowledge the fact that it can suck for me, even though I yes. don't have it as bad as someone else, yes. that is very satisfying. So then totally. I can kind of go, well, that's my little bit of suffering. And, and then someone else can, rather than comparing, I love that. What did you call yeah. it? Com- Comparative suffering, we call oh, it. Yeah, yes, that's suffering. really cool. And yep. the best line to remember with that is it's dangerous. So we have to get our brains out of the habit because it's mm-hmm. dangerous because the more you do it, one that causes you suffering because you're not acknowledging your own pain and you're not being authentic with yourself. And that doesn't allow you to heal. You know, it's like if I have a cut and I just go, it's not there, it's not there because yours is bigger and deeper and worse. It's not there, it's not there. Well, it's going to get infected. You got to treat it. You got to attend to it. You got to do what is needed to heal it. It's not going to go away. Just because yours is worse doesn't make mine go away, does it? I still have to treat it. So you Mm. treat it, oxygen mask, mine on first, and then I can go to you. So, See, yeah. that's so logical when you said that because there's like a physical, Yes, there's a physical, there's something physical that you can see. But when it's emotional, people kind of, there's all those different levels of, yeah. well, I'm not hurting as much as that person. But if you see it that way, logically, you kind of go, ev- you know, it's, what's that song? Everybody hurts. Everybody's hurting in their own special and unique way. Yeah. Oh, love it. Yeah. Love yeah. it. That is, that is, yeah, and I think a lot of parents out there probably have got pretty high expectations of what they're doing at the moment and they probably feel like they're not living up to that. So I think that's, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's golden. Mm-hmm. There's a couple more questions here and I am just going to put in uh, that, that wonderful question from Jessica was actually my sister's question. I'm going oh, to own up to that. <laughs> Shout out to Jess. Mm-hmm. Uh Next question we had was from Amber, and this is about connections and how do, how we can, how can we stay connected um, during this time? Particularly for Amber, it was um, how can what's the best way um, to help the grandparents stay connected to the grandchildren? Mm-hmm. And obviously, there's 
a, you know, a lot of encouragement to not make that connection, physical connection to, you, to your grandparents. And whilst FaceTime and so forth is, is good, what other mm. kind of options are there? Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. I saw actually a really cool little post and, uh, where uh, someone did go and visit their grandparent, and, but they were on the other side of the window and they had I a, saw that. Yeah, <laughs> a cup oh, of tea yeah. with, the, with the grandparent. But um, yeah. yeah, any other thoughts or suggestions or yeah, um, well, I'm in this boat because um, I'm from LA, so my whole family's in LA. So we do FaceTime and stuff a lot anyway with my family. But um, what I've been doing more recently is well, so one on the FaceTime thing, giving the kids the iPad or the phone and letting them go off with my parents or my sister and cousins, my nephews. Um, they've had such rich conversations without me being there. I've loved it because then I get to do stuff and I get a break. Um, but my mom was saying to me the other day that like my um, six-year-old got a little board game out and she picked a person for each of my parents and like, okay, you know, Gramps, you're blue. Omi, you're going to be red. I'm going to be green. And then she played the game and rolling the dice for them and took turns. And my mom said they they did it for like an hour and like my parents loved it because they never get to do that with them, you know? Um, So that, um, yeah, playing um, guess who, if you have, if your family's in the same place like if they're all in melbourne or you know you're all in sydney or whatever buy two versions of guess who the game where you flip the people up you know and yeah. you mm-hmm. drop one off at the grandparents and you have one and then you can play it through the through zoom or through facetime um and then battleship trouble it's another one that they do with my parents um reading books my six-year-old's learning how to read so she loves showing um omi and gramps how she can read um and then they do the same. They read to them. My nephews um, in LA will read books and show my kids toys and they'll be doing like YouTube tutorials. They're really into Star Wars. So they'll show them my girls um, Star Wars Lego. So you can do more than just like looking at each other, you know, on FaceTime. But so that's one thing techie wise. Um, just another one on that words with friends. Yeah. I know it's really cool. A cool oh, yes. I forgot about that. Just, yeah. So you might not even be actually interacting with them. But you can chat through that as well. So depending on how tech savvy your grandparents are, again, you know, what apps they might be on, any any kind of, um, what do they call it? I'm showing my age now when you can have a game where you, it's you, online, remote, playing against someone else. Yeah. Can't remember yeah. what the terminology is, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I know um, what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, they're, so they're that's good, a good one. Yeah, good options from as well. Yeah, and then the other thing we've been doing a lot is um, making little care packages, um, yeah. which is because my husband's parents live about 30 minutes away. So, and we're not seeing them at the moment. So we make like cards and we paint rocks and we do, I'm just sort of like, whatever you guys want to do, I don't care (laughs) as long as it takes some time. Um, We've been painting just anything. Anyway. Yeah. So painting stuff, putting it in a box or a bag and then delivering it and then watching them you know from afar open it and they get all excited and and mm. um, then they have maybe a bag of stuff that they give to us um so yeah that's a good thing another mm. thing i really love is um there's this website and book called um big life journal oh, yeah. and big life journal is like a collaborative journal that a adult does with a child and i would say from like mm, six age six and upwards you can do it and then they have a teen one as well and it's just like these just collaborative journal entries that you can do with a, a trusted grown-up. And so I've had some clients who've been doing that via Skype or Zoom with the grandparent, with the child, 
um, or doing it on the phone or, you know, um, when they go to drop off something, you know, showing them, see, I did the, you know, pages 12 and 13 in the book um, and connecting with them. But I would say that my favorite way that is the most, I guess, feasible and like realistic is we've been making care packages um, and it might be illegal. I don't know, but we've also been doing that with friends and we've been making little bags. Like on Easter, we made little bags with stickers and lollies and then dropped them off at our friends that are in the area. Um, I don't know if I would get a ticket for that, but (laughs) (laughs) well, you could put it under the, you know, I know that you can care for others. Uh, You're on the road to care for others. Yes. Okay. There you go. And and you're doing that. So Yeah. yeah, but that's been great. That's been what we've been doing for grandparents and friends and yeah, yeah staying connected. Tips. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Tash, you got to okay. go to the next questions. Oh, one of the questions that, and this is actually a question from me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, should we be letting kids watch the news about COVID-19? Should we be, because my kids love watching it. Um, and my husband and I talk about it all the time. Um, so, yeah, just wondering what they should and shouldn't watch and are we scarring them, are we scaring them? Mm. I don't know really anyone that the news is helpful for, like kids or adults. I think it promotes a lot of anxiety if you mm. think about amygdala's perspective, right? If all amygdala cares about is safety and security, seeing the death toll rise, what's happening in New York or Italy. Um, I don't think anyone's amygdalas see that stuff and are like, hmm, that makes me feel so safe. Like, (laughs) I think everyone's amygdala sees that stuff and goes, ah! I didn't think about it. I wanted to be worried about, you know, um, the air. Oh my God, I can't go outside. Like, it just, yeah, I think it promotes anxiety. Um, And I also think one of anxiety's favorite lies is to say, if you watch this and learn more, it'll make you feel better. If you Mm. spend 20 minutes today worrying about this, that'll make you feel better and you'll feel more in control about this problem or whatever. Like it's just, it's one of the many tricks that anxiety likes to use to hook you into worrying and obsessing. And I think we're, I think we're all like, I, again, myself, I have been watching the news and I've been probably watching it in the morning uh then i might get an update in the middle of the day and then of an evening and i suppose i've been wanting to do that because of the situation unfolding with schools and us obviously being in schools and uh, our services and making sure that we're making informed decisions in a timely manner but um, now that that kind of seems like it's somewhat settled although the, the goalposts keep on moving um I think people probably all feel like they've got to stay informed and, 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 and keep up to date. But I do, I do feel that I've now reached a point where I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm over it. You know, yeah. there's a, there's a, there's a, uh, a part of my brain that is hungry for that information to know what's going on. But every time I end up getting to the point where I've got to switch it off, yeah. I've reached a point where I've probably watched it too long and I'm now feeling anxious. Um, yeah. And if I had yeah. just avoided it, I would have felt better. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I think another thing that happens is um, there's this term, like a technical term called compassion fatigue, where, and you guys might feel this with your own children, where it's like, by 5 p.m., I have compassion fatigue, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm all out. I am fresh out of compassion for you guys. Yeah. So, um, and we find that globally, like um, a lot of times I notice that when there's like a school shooting in the States, that the vibe often from especially Australians and other people is like, when are they going to get it? When are they going to stop, 
you know, when are they going to change their laws? And there's just, I think a lot of, I mean, and it's also fair frustration and I feel the same, but a lot of us tend to feel compassion fatigue towards stuff that happens again and again and again and again. Mm. And that's what I think is starting to happen too with um, Corona is we're starting to get very, this compassion fatigue, you know, you see, oh, the death toll has risen here or this hospital is out of masks and ventilators. And you're then kind of like, oh yeah. If you come numb to it and the numbers almost, and I've, I noticed this with a lot of natural disasters and things that happen around the world, that numbers almost yeah. just get thrown around and you, yeah. you can't comprehend yeah. what it actually is like yeah. in real life almost, what those mm-hmm. numbers actually mean. Yeah, totally. You become numb yeah. to it, like you say. It's- but I think with the news, like, I just sort of try to limit my intake and I try to limit mine to only written because I think seeing images. I've heard people, that. I've heard yeah. that's really a healthy way of doing it. Yeah, because if you look at again, amygdala, if it sees visually people in panic and in hospitals crowded and over, overwhelmed versus reading a hospital was overwhelmed with patients today, it's just a totally different experience on your nervous system. I mean, you can even feel it. Like if you think about that stuff and if you read about it and then if you watch a video, it's a completely different experience on how it just elevates things in your body. So mm. I would say no on, on TV for adults and kids as much as possible. Um, it's, I just don't think right now it's helpful. And I think if you need to stay informed because you work in finance or you work in some industry, like say medicine that's impacted by this and you need to stay informed, yay, but do it written and do it on your own time. And like, shield the kids from it as much as you can. And I think with answering their questions too, because that's what some parents have said to me is, oh, well, I don't know the answers to some of their questions about like, where did it come from? And how does it spread? And those kind of maybe sciencey stuff. Like there is so much cool stuff on YouTube right now that and Instagram that people have done handouts and kid-friendly videos on explaining it. But like get your information that way rather than the news, which is just so like, Oh, like it's so heavy. It's so mm. Except if you're watching Trumpy stuff and then it's really entertaining. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe you guys. My husband's obsessed with watching Trump and uh, seeing all me that. Too. But it, it seriously enrages me. Oh. If you want to see me go psycho <laughs> watching Trump at a press conference. I love it. Oh, uh, it just oh, enrages yeah. me. Me enrages too. Me. It's my daily entertainment. I, yeah, that's love, I still love seeing yeah. what he's going to do today. Oh, his videos lately. They've, they've just been absolute classics. You know, his self-promotion video he did yesterday. I was like, oh I didn't my. see that one. Oh, oh, no, you, can you film yourself watching that and then send it to everyone? Because I really want to see you enraged. Yeah, awesome. is, that when he, is that when he forgot uh, February? Like nothing happened in February? Uh, it's anyway. just when he was cracking up the World Health Organization for yeah. them. Yeah, anyway, it's another yeah. topic. Yeah, that's yes. a whole other podcast. We'll let other people talk about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, one of the things you did mention, and this is a question from uh, Bethany, uh, you know, you're encouraging people to, to perhaps read their news. With children, is this, you know, what, how, what is your advice with trying to get children to, to read more? Um, mm. yeah, to, yeah, one of the questions we got. Yeah. So with any behavior you want a child to participate in or not participate in, it's all about modeling. We're social little creatures. You know, we have two eyes and two ears. We're, we're made to consume um, input. And so if our children are seeing us read more, they're likely to read more. Um, mm. That's a huge way for any kind of behavior modification. 
if it's eating healthy, exercise, uh, reading more, if they see you doing it, they're much more likely to do it because we're little monkey see monkey do, right? So that's the first thing is you can model it. Um, The second thing though, I think with this whole thing is you got to lower your expectations on what my kids are going to be using this time for, you know, like totally with you on dream scenario that my kids are going to smash it with reading and, you know, they're going to become proficient at whatever when this whole thing is over. But that's just not how kids' brains are wired. Kids' brains are wired to be curious about the stuff that they're curious about. Mm -hmm. So I think you got to go with their natural curiosity. So if your child is curious about um, dinosaurs or, um, I don't know, coding or pandemics, like, encourage them to research that and say like, okay, well, let's make this your research project while we're at home. Why don't you become an expert on blah, makeup Mm. tutorials? I don't know, like baking. You can become whatever you, and I would even say to your kids, like, what do you want to become an expert on during this time? And then that will be sort of like your project, your book report, you know, that at the end of this, you can do a little project presentation to me and your teacher, if they care on whatever the thing is, dinosaurs, Mm. you know, I would rather, and then, you'll find that they'll probably read a whole bunch because they're reading about stuff that they're interested in. And I think if they're interested in something that you've deemed is dumb or like stupid, like say makeup tutorials maybe, or um, I don't know, baking cupcakes, that's not going to help the situation. Like Mm. be lucky that be grateful that they found something that they're passionate about and then support it. And Mm. we can look at, you know, YouTube videos online. We can follow some people on Instagram that are passionate about that topic too. If it's plants or airplanes or whatever, and then that can be your project over the break. Like, and Mm. then they'll satisfy all of the criteria for academic stuff, you know, reading, planning, um, logic reasoning they can make arguments about why this is better than that like you can get to a lot with that mm, mm. Mm. that's my, nice my thank you and my niece and nephew actually uh just did a podcast their own podcast on a, on a on a book series that they absolutely love and it's actually really good quality and the tools and resources out there for mini projects are, are pretty accessible um yeah uh, for, for children in primary school years uh, even as well as the secondary but um yeah, I suppose just make sure they you know, have access to those types of things and yeah. and support too. But um, I don't think parents need to actually support children a lot with a lot of the tech stuff now. They seem to be yeah. confident. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So we've had a few questions from the parents. Well, one of the um, other ones that we um, wanted to kind of just cover, and this kind of links into the, the, the children. Uh, struggling a little bit emotionally during the lockdown period. Um, I suppose, how else can we support them? Is there any other kind of words of wisdom in terms of how we can support them through through this yeah. time? Mm-hmm. Um, first thing to notice about with their anxiety or their behavior in general of what they're going through right now is to remember that all behavior is communication with children and adults and everyone. All behavior is communication. You would love it if your kid said to you when you're on the phone, you know, mommy, I'm feeling neglected. I would love your attention right now. But that's not what they do. They draw on the wall, they push their sibling, they steal lollies out of the cupboard, you know, they behave in a way that communicates, I want your attention. Mm. But they don't say it to you blatantly, you know, just blah, as you want Mm. them to say it. Or I'm having a hard time. I'm feeling anxious. Um, I'm sad. I can't see my friends. Like that's usually not how they're going to articulate it. It's going to come out in being whiny, 
crying more, being angry Stack more. Stack on fighting, all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. So much of that. So much more aggression. So much more, <laughs> so much more aggression. It's probably what your two are doing right now and yeah. Tash in the other room. <laughs> <laughs> They've done well. They've done well for leaving you alone for this one. No. <laughs> Honestly, today I've been bribing them all day. They're actually playing some Empire Star Wars thing at the moment. Awesome. So as long as we're chatting, that's what they're doing. Awesome. But as soon as I t- as soon as I turn that off, you'll you'll actually hear this, and then it's a stack on. It's like yeah. what just happened? But I gave yeah. you video games, totally. so I don't know. They're definitely communicating something to me. Yeah. This is what you can help me decode. Yeah. Yeah, so all behavior is communication. So rather than saying or calling your kids naughty or saying what they just did <laughs> naughty or that they're misbehaving, if you reframe it in your head as all behavior is communication and you instead get curious, what are they trying to communicate to me right now? Is it possible that they're feeling frustrated because they've been stuck inside for days and days and days? Is it possible that they're missing their friends? Is it possible that they're um, feeling a lot of big feelings and they don't know how to navigate. I mean, how many adults know how to navigate their emotions? Mm. Like mm. kids especially don't know how to navigate their emotions. So a lot of times they'll get angry at us or they'll, you know, I've had a lot of clients saying to me recently, my kid has been saying, I hate you. And my kids never said that to me. Um, a lot of that stuff is coming up because they're feeling overwhelmed and they're feeling a lot of intense emotions that they're not used to feeling. And they don't even know what they are. Like, there's no emotional literacy that we teach in school, really. I mean, probably more so now than when we all were growing up, but like just identifying all the different emotions that are out there beyond just sad and angry and happy, but things like frustrated or jealous or um, concerned, you know, there's so much literacy that you can be teaching your children about their emotions and how they're feeling that then help empower and equip them when they get into these situations where they're frustrated um, that's a huge one that you can be doing. So all behavior is communication. Get curious on what they're trying to communicate with you and ask yourself, um, how can I build connection in this moment? So is what I'm about to say going to build connection or disconnection? And if it's going to build disconnection, can I not say it or can I say it in a different way that promotes connection? Mm-hmm. And connection is really the core of everything we want to be doing right now with our kids. Yes, academics matter. Yes, um, exercise and eating well and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all know that that matters. But what I think gets missed a lot and, you know, working, a lot of us have to still work to have money coming in the door. Um, Yes, all that stuff matters. But what matters the most to me right now, and this is like, if this is the one thing people take away from this podcast, is connection needs to be your number one focus right now. Mm. How can I connect with my children and how can I make them feel safe? Screaming at them and losing it, that doesn't make them feel safe. If I can try to prioritize even 10 minutes of one-on-one time with each of my kids at the beginning Mm. of the day or throughout the day, that can save you so many tantrums and so much fighting between them. That's a good one. That's a very doable one too. And giving them their own independent individual special time. Yeah. And calling it like mom time or, you know, special Mm. elephant time or I don't know, whatever they want to call it, you know, drawing time or we play shops and, Doing things like letting them be the leader, letting them dictate the play. So if it's, um, you know, do you want to play shops? And okay, so who am I? Am I the shopkeeper or am I a customer? And then they tell you who you're going to be. If it's older kids, it could be, um, you know, you're really great at makeup. Can you do my makeup or can you teach me how to do it? Mm. If they're a little bit older than that and, um, you know, they're, say, super into TikTok or Instagram saying, I have no idea how to do TikTok. How does it even work? Can you teach me? Oh, that's cool. And yeah. having them be the expert. I just yeah. got into TikTok. 
Did you? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm a, that's my that's my that's my uh, zone out space when I when I'm just I'm I'm cooked. I just go. Oh, how, it's TikTok um, time. <laughs> how old are your How old are your niece and nephew? How old are your? Uh, they're ten and twelve. They're perfect. Oh yeah. my god! Get on Facetime with them and say, or like on your computer, so you can have your phone also mm. and ask them to coach you through it. It's yeah. just about the fact that you took the kids off her hands for a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Although, you know, weirdly enough, there are, and my sister's one of these families, they're loving this. But they're a family oh. that's quite introverted, you know, or they, they love, and they're, they're big into reading, they're big readers, and they're, they're, yeah. they're very, um, you know, they're tech savvy, so they're, and the children are tech savvy, so they, uh-huh. but they're also very structured in, in, in their inner sense as well. And I suppose also coming back to, you, to, to what you were saying, you know, having that, mum or, 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 or solo dad time, you know, I would imagine scheduling that in, you are talking before about having that routine and scheduling yes. that in and having those moments to look forward to and having that kind of understanding of, okay, cool, we've got to do this for a little while, but then you get this. I yeah. think that would, yeah. I imagine that would work in really well. Totally. Because Heidi, we do that, you know, when we're not in a pandemic, which is usually, <laughs> um, we do day dates. So yeah. my husband and I will take either child and then we'll kind of like huddy, and I will go and do something that Huddy loves to do that's really artistic or Cooper mm-hmm. and I'll do something that he loves to do that's very food-based and mm-hmm. different cuisines and whatever. Whereas now, because we're all shut in, mm-hmm. yeah, you don't have that. But I'm like, I should so be doing that just within these yeah. four walls. But totally. just another quick question, um, just just tagging on to that. Yeah. What about uh, our kids going to be more resilient because they've had to cope with this? Like, is this going to be like helpful for them? Like for, for future? Like, you know, if, if, if a child has to, you know, lose a grandparent early or, you know, there's like, they've gone through something quite significant. Are they going to be more, you know, robust on, on the other side of this? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Um, I think when you look at resilience, you got to look at, what makes you resilient and what are the things that contribute to resiliency? And I don't know about you guys, but if I look back at my life and I look back at the things that I've been through, where I learned the most, where I grew the most, pretty sure we would all tip and say it was the hard times. It wasn't the easy cruisy times that I grew and developed and um, yeah, painful and a lot of suffering, but that's where I learned. And that's where I, um, grew my thick skin, you know, was through, and my problem solving abilities and stuff was through hard times. So I think this whole experience for me is bringing up the concept of like, just pain, I think, and changing our relationship with pain. I think a lot of us as parents think our our main goal as a parent is to protect our children and keep them safe. And that's certainly part of the brief of, you know, protecting our kids. But I think what a lot of us do in error is we try to protect our kids from all pain and that's not how they get resilient and that's not how they grow. And that's also not helpful for their self-esteem because if you shield someone consistently from pain um, or hardship or disappointment, you think you're communicating to them um, you're safe and you're okay. But what you actually are communicating to them, and I've heard this from adult clients who had parents like that, and adolescents who have parents like that, they say to me, what that actually communicates to me is, you don't think I can handle it. Yep. You don't yep. think I can do it. And then that makes me doubt myself. And then I feel more anxious and more afraid because you don't think I'm strong enough. So what I preach and try to follow in my own life and try to do is, I actually believe more in pointing our children in the direction of pain. 
and telling them you can handle this. And I know you can handle this because I know you Mm. and I know your heart. And yes, I see the fear and the fear is big, but I see your courage too. And your courage is bigger and I'm right behind you. So you can go tackle whatever because I'm right behind you. And rather than I'm going to be in front of you, shielding, 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 protect, protect, protect. And then they never learn how to grow. And it's like, it's in those experiences in life and just repeated pain and repeated suffering and repeated hardship that our children learn, oh, this can't touch me. I can go through fire after fire after fire. And then that's how I know I'm fireproof. But if you keep them from going Mm. into the fires, they never get to learn that. And the earlier you learn that, like I, thankfully, I'm not thankfully, I don't know, in my early 20s went through a really painful experience and relationship breakdown and depression and it was a really challenging period. But I got to learn then very early on, I'm fireproof and I can get through anything. And coming out of that experience in my early 20s, I then got to see whatever life throws at me, I will get through. Because if I could beat that and if I could get through that, I can do anything. And then every challenge that came after that, like moving to another country when I was 26, um, building a life here, overcoming lots of adversity and other challenges, I just kept going back to, yeah, but look at what I got through in my early 20s. If I could get through that, I can get through Mm. anything. So the Mm. earlier you can teach your children, you can do it. And it's not going to kill you. You're going to get through this and you'll get through it because I'm connected to you, right? Going back to the whole connection, connection, connection. If you're connected to me, I'm constantly, the analogy I kind of like is like a boxer. Like a boxer goes in the ring. Our child goes in the ring. They do a few rounds. They get knocked about. And we're just sort of sitting back in the corner holding our breath like, oh God, oh God, oh God. And then they come and they sit on the stool. We give them water. We're massaging their shoulders. And we're like, you got this, you got this. That was a great shot that last round. You know, look at his knees. His knees are a little bit wobbly. I think you could, right? And we coach him, coach, go, And you got this. And back at you go. Mm-hmm. Rather than you just sit on the stool, sweetheart, and I'm going to go fight all the battles for you. They don't learn that way. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a delicate balance, though, of like, where do I cushion them and love and support them and, and protect them? And then where do I push them? Cushion and push them. You know, where do I push and say, you can do this and, I, and you got this and I'm right here next to you, bud, versus when do I protect and shield? And that's very, very tricky and very, very hard to navigate. But this experience, what we're going through right now, is an awesome opportunity to yeah. show them, look at what you can get through. And this generation, hot damn, I cannot wait to see what amazing things they do. Because to have at such a young age, global awareness and understanding of my small action of staying home can protect that elderly person there. Like there's so like, that's another thing I'm doing with my kids is telling them we get to be superheroes Mm. and we get to wear our capes. And this is us being a superhero is staying home and washing our hands a lot and not touching things because then we're protecting all the old people and all the people who are sick. And um, there's just, it's such a great opportunity I think right now to be teaching our kids like, and this is how you do it. This is how you do it. This is what resilience looks like. Watch me. Watch. I'll show you. Mm. And, and part of that <clears throat> is being honest and saying, sometimes I have days where I just want to lay on the couch and I don't feel motivated. It's not that I'm like training for a marathon and we have our color-coded schedule right here. And that's not what resilience is. Resilience is compassion. Resilience is being empathetic to yourself. Resilience is lowering your expectations to be appropriate. Resilience is connection and part Mm. of it is connected to yourself and honoring 
and being kind to yourself with where you're at. So if in this hour, all I have capacity for is, huh? then that's all I had capacity for. And I know myself and I know that when I feel capable, I will get back up and I will go on to the next thing. Wow, that's gold. Our families are going to love you. That was a real passion. I got real. I got, oh, real I, got I got some goosebumps, and so I think I saw a tear or two in <laughs> Tasha's eyes. Um, with with going back to the routine and tying again, tying that into it, then yep. and, and, and thinking about you know how do you set up those conversations and how do you perhaps check into that on a daily basis? Which would, would you recommend like? At, at mealtime or something like that, saying, okay, what did you what did you hate today? Or what did you really, what was a real challenge for you, each of us today? And then going around the table and then, okay, well, what did we love? What, I mean, it sounds corny and sometimes it's not practical, but mm. what would you recommend and how do you, how can you kind of make sure that you're checking in and doing these things on a daily yeah. basis? Yeah, great question. Um, checking in massive, like super important because a lot of us, I think, think we know our kids are fine or they're, you know, coping or whatever. And then, um, they're not. So my favorite thing that I um, preach is um, just asking, do you have any questions about this? And being kind of really open and not judgy and not shamey in, in my sort of tone and my energy, but saying, um, so I've been saying to my kids almost daily, do you have any questions today, bud, about, about the virus or about school or about hmm. um, mom and dad working from home? Do you have any questions about that? And sometimes they go, no, um, you know, like I said that to my daughter the other day and I said, do you have any questions? And she goes, no, squares have four sides. And I was like, all right, good chat. Glad we had a little DNM there. But um, I just say, ask, constantly ask them, do you want to talk about this? And then the other thing I've been doing, which is really helpful, especially for little kids, well, actually, not just little kids, all kids, I think, is we call it... Um, um, like social stories or narrative therapy or um, like a social um, narr narrative of what's just happened. So mm. one, of, one of my favorite techniques when I work with kids who've experienced a trauma, which yes, is what we're experiencing. And that maybe I'll talk about that in a second um, is uh, telling them the story of what happened. So for example, when I've worked with kids who have had uh, say in the bushfires or um, when I used to work in community settings and worked with a lot of kids who um, had uh, drug-affected people in the home or social services were involved a lot and there was a lot of scary stuff that happened, like police coming into the home or something mm -hmm. like that, um, we would create a story. So when I would see them for their session, and this is something you can do for anything. You can do for you have a small medical procedure coming up, um, something scary happened in the home, um, maybe just this is worthy enough of doing this. So you do what's called the story. So, or like, even if you're like in a little fender bender in the car park um, and it maybe scares the kids, you can do the story of what happened. So I'll say, um, do you want me to tell you the story of what just happened? And usually they'll nod or they say, what do you mean? And then you basically just go through a play by play of what happened and adding an extra layer of like emotional commentary or um, psychological narrative of what you think was maybe happening for them. So, for example, um, in this situation, you might say, um, do you want me to tell you the corona story or do you want me to tell you the COVID story again? Yeah, what's, what's, the COVID, what's the corona story? Well, so there was this virus and it's called the coronavirus and it came out of a place called China. You know, do you know where China is on the map? Let's find it on the map. 
And this virus spread and then this person got sick and this person got sick and then it came everywhere. And then we realized what's the best thing to make the virus stop is if we all stay home, wash our hands a lot, don't go out much. And then that's how the virus is going to stop. And that's how we're all going to stay healthy. And so we're focusing a lot right now and staying healthy and washing our hands so that we don't get the virus and we can protect other people that might be a little bit vulnerable is a word you have to, that's a bit more of an explanation, but people who might get sick easily or old people mm. or things like that. Mm. Um, and so that's why we're staying home. And it's really hard sometimes to stay home a lot. And we get frustrated, don't we, being stuck at home so much. And sometimes we lose our temper with each other and we get angry and we're all feeling a bit sad and a bit funny inside because this is very tricky and this is very different. So like validating how they're feeling, giving them language, sort of like you would do you know, a fairy tale story, um, you're telling them a story about what's happening right now, but giving narrative and context because otherwise they come up with their own narrative, they mm. come up with their own context, they come up with their own um, thing like the, say the dog runs out and gets hit by a car. Um, kids and adults to this day will say things like, I always thought it was my fault. Um, oh, or yeah. my parents got a divorce and I thought it was my fault. Mm-hmm. Um, or my mom got cancer and I thought it was my fault because I wasn't nice to her the week before it happened. Um, kids are very internal and they internalize things and they blame themselves a lot because they they have to be self-focused. They have to be selfish. It's a part of their amygdala and survival. I have to be focused on myself so that I survive. Um, so teaching them a story and you could do, if you're artsy, you could do a, a visual story. So make like a comic strip of what's happening Um, and then the end is kind of always some sort of vibe of safety and we're okay now or it's over now. So when the police came into the house to take, you know, daddy away, um, you felt really scared and you were really worried. And then that nice lady came in and she helped you. And then now it's all safe. Now you've seen daddy again and he's okay and you're okay. And things have gone back to normal or whatever the story is, but you want to end like the last page or the last line of the story is, and it's over now or we're safe now, but then in this situation, since it's not over now, it's, you know, maybe a, a label of like, and this is our new normal for the next little while. But you know, what's great is we're all safe together and we're all safe at home and the doctors know what they're doing. They've figured out now how they can help people and they have the right medicine and giving like a, a reassuring kind of, not a happy ending, because this isn't a happy ending, no. you know, we, but it's teaching them, I guess, to live in this discomfort and live in this uncertainty. And that's kind of the key, you know, whenever I talk to parents about um, anxiety, the key thing I say is, we're not making it go away. You never fix anxiety, like, God, it, it doesn't go away, you just learn how to manage it. And so that's your kind of your mandate as a parent with anxious kids, or if you have anxiety yourself, what you're teaching them is you're coaching them on how to tolerate uncertainty and how to Mm. embrace all of their emotions and kind of you bring in the anxiety. I always say it's like you welcome the anxiety into tea and you Mm. invite it to tea. So when your anxiety shows up and that's a great thing to do too is externalize it. Um, Give it a name. I have all my clients do that whenever we are tackling anxiety. I say, you know, what does it look like? What do you think your anxiety looks like? And watch your kids will know. They'll say, when you explain anxiety and stuff to them, they'll say, it's a blob, it has a bow tie, um, (laughs) it sits on the end of my bed at night when I'm worried about going to sleep. Um, They'll have a whole thing. And adults will say, it's a man, it's a woman. It reminds me of my mean soccer coach in high school. So externalize it. Give it a name, give it a 
a, a personality, you know, whatever, call it Frank or whatever. So Frank shows up. Frank is the one who's telling you you're obsessing about hand washing or you're obsessing about what's happening in the world or you're, you're feeling anxious that um, you're going to lose your spot on the soccer team because you haven't been able to practice or whatever the anxiety is that they're, they're throwing around. Mm. Um, externalize it. So, and, and that's with the behavior thing too. All behavior is separate from the child. You are not naughty. You are not bad that you drew on the walls. Drawing on the walls is what we don't want to be doing. Punching your sister is what we don't want to be doing. You're not bad. We don't want to be shaming them into thinking that they are bad, right? Because that's the difference with shame. Shame is you are bad. You are not okay. You are mm. bad and naughty and wrong. No, the behavior is not okay. What mm. you did, what you said, that's the not okayness. It, it's not about you. You are perfect, wonderful, worthy of love. You have value. You are okay just as you are. Mm, that's really helpful. Mm, that's good. really, really helpful. Good. I try. To, I don't remember what the original question was. Of what we, were I was talk, we were talking about anxiety <laughs> and also and also trauma. You also wanted oh, to say trauma. something about trauma. Yeah. So that's a real common one. I've been getting. Um, you mentioned it earlier when we were speaking before we started, and um, clients have been saying it to me. Um, they've been saying like, I'm worried my kid's going to be traumatized from this, or how do I make sure my kid's not traumatized from this? Either in the trauma of the general situation, or am I traumatizing my kid because I'm yelling at them more than I would normally? Um, so many parents are saying to me, like, I have yelled at my kids more in the last two weeks than I have, I think, in their whole lives. And <laughs> that is so common. And like, join the club. You are not alone, parents out there. Um, you are normal. The weirdos are the ones that are like, we meditate together every day. And oh, I God. That's just, it's just not, that's just not, normal that is yeah that those and the people who are like this is so positive and i'm loving this and we just got to focus on growth and like I, with you but that's mm. just like lower your expectations dude like gotta lower your expectations i am like that positive and like woo this is great for maybe an hour every day where i feel like motivated and awesome and like this is so great I get to spend time with my kids and then the rest of the time I just sort of do a roller coaster of like feeling all sorts of stuff and that's coming from me who like I know all the things and I read mm. all the books and I went to school for a million years and I am and I've done 20 years of, of my own therapy like I know mm. all of the things and I am finding this hard and I am finding myself frustrated with my kids mm. and yelling at them more and just not parenting in like the way that I want to be parenting. That is normal. Um, the difference is, I guess, what we're doing hopefully is apologizing to our kids. Like that's what I always say because most of us, I think our parents didn't apologize to us when they yelled at us. So that's one of the things I'm saying to parents a lot is just apologize to them. And if you do lose your temper, own it. And mm. don't, don't own it with a but but you weren't listening and that's why I yelled yeah. just own it and take yeah. responsibility and validate that that is not okay. And that is never okay for me to yell at you like that. Um, I don't want you growing up thinking that people yelling at you um, is cool and doable. Mm. It's not doable. So that side note, trauma, my favorite definition of trauma comes from Peter Levine, who's kind of the guru in trauma world. And his definition is trauma is any, experience where you feel profoundly helpless or lose your ability to cope, which explains then why you can have situations like um, bankruptcy, 
financial instability, your mom gets cancer, why lots mm -hmm. of things that don't qualify as kind of normal trauma, right? Most people hear trauma and they're like, I was assaulted in an alleyway. My house burned down while I was in it. Um, I got in a car accident. Like people go, that's, that's trauma. Mm. Um, my little you know, thing of my mom having cancer, that's not really trauma or being bullied when I was little, mm. that's not really trauma. Yes, it's trauma. Um, I've had clients have scary plane flights that they were traumatized from because what's the core of it? I feel profoundly helpless and lose my ability to cope. That is trauma. And that's not my Ooh, opinion. I like that. I like that. Is that is trauma. So if you look at this situation, we are all profoundly helpless. All of us. Profoundly helpless in what's going on. And at times, losing our ability to cope. So if you have this time right now to look at how everything is kind of coming into us as I'm helpless here. I'm helpless here. I'm losing my job. We're financially unstable. My kids aren't in school. Like, Oh my God, I just, I feel totally out of control. Remember these words of it's when we feel profoundly helpless and lose our ability to cope that you want to go, okay, how can I help myself then? What can I do? What, what could I do in this situation? What can you control? Exactly. What can you control? Mm. So, that's then where you focus and you go back to what can I control? What can I do? And in research, you know, there's actually, um, it's kind of sad, but an interesting little anecdote to help solidify and remember this. In the, I don't know, 80s, 90s, um, there was a bus of kids that was hijacked and kidnapped in California, I think, somewhere. And they were taken to a warehouse and the plan was that they were going to be ransomed off or something. I know this is really not a very light, nice anecdote, but go with me on it. They were fine and they, they were rescued and none of them were hurt. Um, but there was like, I don't know, 20, let's say 20 kids ranging in age from like five to 18. And at the time after they, the two, two of the kids, older kids were able to run away and get help. And then police came and no one was hurt or Tom, tortured or anything like that. But someone had the brilliant idea to research these kids and to study them over the next 20, 30 years, you know, study them over their lifetime to see how the situation impacted them. Mm. And what they found was the kids who were least traumatized by that whole ordeal were the two kids who ran off to get help. Mm. Why? Because in that situation, they were not profoundly helpless, were they? No, like, they were in action. Exactly. They activated mm. Right? So amygdala is all about safety and security, and amygdala is also where we get fight-flight-freeze response. So when you go into action and you mobilize, which is all orchestrated by the amygdala, you can often feel better because mm -hmm. your brain is able to go through the cycle that it's supposed to, of how it's supposed to deal with stress. So stress input comes in, cortisol, adrenaline spike, which brings me into action. So my muscles get tense. My whole body gets tense. My heart beats faster. I start to sweat. Um, a lot of people feel like they have to go to the bathroom because their body's getting ready to flight or fight. So my body's getting totally mobilized and ready to take on the stress. The problem is right now we're having chronic stress. We're mm. feeling like this daily. I mean, I'm feeling enduring. More it's just, enduring. it just yeah, yeah. Like a marathon. Exactly. We're feeling more, um, adrenaline and cortisol kind of hangovers because we're going so fast and I'm parenting and I'm mothering and I'm working and I'm, I'm doing all of these things at once. So when you focus on action and what can I do, 
So if it's, say, for a parent, it's what I have been saying to clients is you make one list and one column that's, what can I do that helps nurture me and make me feel better for myself when I'm alone? And what are the things I can do when I'm with the kids? So for me, one of my things is going on a walk. I can go on a walk with the kids. Um, coloring, I like coloring and painting and stuff like that. Um, so the things that I can do with the kids. So if I'm starting to feel myself getting... <sighs> oh my God, I'm just so overwhelmed with this. I look at my list and I go, okay, what do I feel like doing? All right, why don't we do some paint? Why don't we do some, mm. why don't we just go outside for a walk or just let's get outside. Mm. And if you have those lists, as silly as it sounds, write it down so you can look at them when you get to that elevated state. And then that's what will help you minimize the trauma from the situation. And a lot of my clients too that I'm seeing are feeling very traumatized by this and not traumatized by it. That's a huge polarity I'm seeing is there's ones that are doing stuff to mm. minimize the amygdala's sense of trapped and helpless versus the ones who are activating, we would call it, or fulfilling the, the cycle that the amygdala kicks off, which is fight, flight, freeze. And then when it comes out of fight, flight, freeze, fight, fight, flight, freeze is like a thawing. And it, you'll notice that too in your kids when they're getting really agitated and they kind of, they peak. And then when they come down in that, that big stressful emotional release, what you're looking for is the, when people are crying, you can see it really easily because they'll usually do a <sighs> that big breath. That's actually your nervous system resetting. And that's wow. your amygdala doing its job. So often when I'm with clients and if I see they're being really upset about something and they're sobbing, 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 I don't say anything about like, this is, you know, this is for the best and heaven needed them more. I don't say any of that crap because that's never helpful. Um, I let them experience it. I'm letting their amygdala and their nervous system do the thing, which is feeling the feelings. And then once I watch their chest and I'm looking for the breath that goes, and then when they do that, that signals to me, ah, your cortex has come back online. Wow, that's so cool. Amygdala has sat back and had its emotional kind of tantrum. Mm. And I hate this, I hate this, this is unfair, I'm overwhelmed, I can't stand it. And what you just do as the parent is you just sit calmly, compassionately, patiently with them. Mm. You don't match them in intensity. You don't match them in anger for anger. And you're up here with your anger, and so I'm going to be up here. no. You, child, stay up here, elevated, and I will stay here because I'm the adult and I know how to regulate and I know how to calm myself down. So I will stay down here doing my diaphragmatic belly breathing to calm down. And then you will slowly, co we call it co-regulate. Your child will co-regulate by mirroring back to you what you're doing. But what so many of us are doing at the moment is matching them in intensity and we want oh, yeah. to stay down with them. And that's a great way to help someone who's feeling helpless is to help them, obvious, by regulating yourself and staying down here, not getting up here and being, oh my God, or don't speak to me like that. That's so disrespectful. You can't say I hate you to your mother. That's not okay. Go to your room. When all behavior is communication, right? So if they're screaming at you, I hate you, or they're having an angry outburst, mm. back up. Get curious about that. Could they possibly just be feeling super overwhelmed with all this? Yeah. Are they maybe sick of hanging out with you and their siblings? Yeah. So can I meet you with compassion and empathy and come towards you in a gentle way? And what I always say to parents is, imagine it's like subtitles on your TV as your kid is coming at you with this, I hate you spray and I hate this and da 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 da. Just try to plug your ears and view the subtitles as them saying, 
I'm feeling frightened and alone and overwhelmed and take off yeah. what your brain is saying of I hate you and then your amygdala starts to feel threatened, switch it, see the subtitles differently as mom, I'm feeling frightened and alone and overwhelmed and that's what I want you to focus on because if your kids came to you saying that, you would mm. compassion galore, no problem, I can be empathetic. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, it's awesome. I think, I think that's the... Uh, <laughs> I think that's a really, some really sound advice, but a really, really challenge, big challenge for in them, because in that moment, um, you know, you're trying to fight your amygdala to a, which is, you know, trying to keep your sanity exactly. and just lashing out as well, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, that, that's, that's the realistic challenge, and I'm sure it takes a lot of practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. um, you Self-regulation. won't get right necessarily the, you know, every time. Just, 100%. Mm. When have you ever done anything the first time and nailed well, it? Well, it's funny you should ask that. <laughs> <laughs> um. My skiing career was amazing. <laughs> I, just, I just did mm. black diamonds. Yeah, no. All of us. And that's practice with anything. You know, like if you think about meditation, what's meditation called? Meditation practice. Yeah. And the people mm. will say to me, I hate meditation. No kidding. Who likes it? Nobody likes meditation when you start because your mm. brain just fights it, fights it, fights it. It just wants to get da 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 Amygdala certainly doesn't like meditation initially, but then as you train your brain to get quiet and you train your body into stillness, you then start to, you know, love it and, and see the benefits of it. But yeah, self-regulation, that's the number one challenge every parent and all of us, I think, have is regulating ourselves because, yeah, your own amygdala. And see, this is the thing I think about understanding the like neuroscience behind it is if you understand that when your kid is coming at you and screaming at you, that that's going to trigger a physiological, neurobiological response in you. Mm-hmm. It kind of gives you compassion on yourself that you go, oh, that's why I yell back, fight response. That's why I go, forget it, and leave the room, flight response. Because my amygdala is getting triggered, because I'm starting to feel a sensory input overload flooding of your emotions and what you just said, and you're an ungrateful brat, and you know you have all this stuff that's coming at you from your child, to stay calm and relaxed yourself is so hard because you're competing with biology mm. and neurobiology. You're competing with a part of your brain, just like saying, don't be hungry. Or if you have to go to the bathroom, just tell yourself you don't. Like, mm. it doesn't work <laughs> like that. You're competing with, with a drive within yourself that is just wiring. You can't compete with that. I mean, you can, like, I'll just give you a quick one. So my favorite one for regulating um, is belly breathing. And a lot of people say, oh, I know belly breathing. It's just deep breathing. No, belly breathing is different. Belly breathing is on the inhale, you stick your tummy out as far as you can. Whereas deep breathing is you're filling your lungs as big as you can. So it's different. So I'll I'll just actually, I'll do it with you guys if you want. You put one hand on your chest, one hand on your tummy. And this is great when you're feeling anxious, when you feel like you're about to lose your temper with your kids or your partner. So your bottom hand on your tummy, on the inhale, you're going to push it out as far as you can and try to count in till four. Okay, ready? So we'll go one, two, three, four. And sticking your tummy out like you're trying to look pregnant almost. And then try to hold two, three, four. And then exhale. One, two, three, four. And if you just, you guys keep doing that and I'll talk. As you do that, what you'll notice is you'll notice an actual like calm down of your whole nervous system because there's a nerve that connects to your diaphragm to your amygdala. 
So ah, when that's breathe, yeah, when you breathe like this, you are opening up your diaphragm and you're expanding your ribs and your lungs to a point that's not normal, right? If you're running from a tiger, you're breathing short, sharp, fast, and shallow. Amygdala hears that message, right? When you're breathing and thinks, oh crap, we're in danger, where's the tiger, right? But if you're breathing like this, that's so slow, Ooh. so relaxed. Does that make sense? Yeah. So yeah. Your, your breathing actually tells your brain how to feel or how exactly. to think. Exactly. It triggers, oh, that's exactly. really cool. Which is why it's so annoying when people are having a panic attack and someone says to them, just take a few deep breaths. Mm. That's like the intention is good, but that's not actually the why. The why is because we want to calm your amygdala down. Who's the one who's freaking out when you're having a panic attack? And the best way to communicate to amygdala is speak its language, which is often physical. So saying, because it's primal, right? If you tell your amygdala that really it's not going to hurt you, corona is just happening elsewhere, it's not here, you're okay, amygdala doesn't talk. Amygdala is a lizard. So you have to talk to it in the lizard way, which is nice, big, deep breaths, nice, relaxing, and then that's how it will calm down. So before I'm going to have a challenging phone call, before I go on stage, if I'm doing a presentation, um, anytime I start to feel a little bit elevated or when I can tell I'm about to yell at my kids, I just stop and go, and I just do some belly breaths. And you can feel it immediately shift. It's like your physiology just goes, Dink, and it just takes you down a notch so you're not so close to boiling point. And this is something you can teach your kids. When I have taught it to my kids and clients, we lay on the floor, we put a stuffed animal on our belly. And then on that inhale, when you're trying to make your belly stick out, you try to knock the stuffed animal off. Mm. Um, even the position of hand on tummy, hand on heart is a really comforting position. Um, you can feel it like as you do it, because it, it just sort of feels like a hug and it's just a soothing way to kind of just comfort yourself. So I do that with adult clients. It, with, if I'm having a session with an adult and they're um, really dysregulated and really upset because they're telling me a story about something that happened that was really hard. I'll just stop them and just say, okay, just take a second to just put a hand on your tummy and one hand on your heart and just give it some breath and just slow it down. And then that, just that mm. really regulating and really calming and same with your kids. So I've taught this to my kids that um, when they're really upset or really angry, um, I'll say, Let, why don't we just put our hands on our tummy and hand on our heart? And let's just take a few belly breaths. Let's just give it some breath. Mm. And that just often just slows it right down. I've been doing it the whole time you've been talking. I know. I'm Same. So chill. <laughs> yeah. I, I love it. In fact, yeah. I'm going to have a nap now. You guys take over. <laughs> but, you know, you see people, you see people uh, naturally. I think it's a natural instinct too. Like, if you're, like you say, if you're about to go out and, and stage, and you see people kind of as they're kind of almost psyching themselves up, but it's also, I would imagine, having that, that calming effect to help settle any nerves you might be yeah. having or butterflies or whatever. Yeah, it might be. yeah. getting amygdala um, to calm down. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I suppose one of the other questions during this time, and you've already, we've already kind of mentioned it here and there, but this is obviously a stressful and difficult time for the relationship mm. with you and your child at the moment, or with mm. children, with parents mm. and children, but also with your partners. You know, you're... Oh, yeah. The, um, in 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 a, in a situation, a lot of people, not everyone, mm -hmm. but a lot of people, where you're spending a lot more time with your loved ones, and you're in uh, in in a confined space, and it's not by choice; it's being forced, and it's not normal. Um, mm -hmm. um, so, uh, you know, I imagine a lot of these techniques you're talking about, and and you know, as you're talking about the subtitles, you know, when when 
you're having an argument with you know your partner or, or your loved one uh, that the same still applies i'm imagining yeah um look at the look at the subtitles what are they communicating to yeah. you in this time yeah. yeah um and the subtitles i think often are with our partners um i'm overwhelmed i'm stressed i'm feeling financially pressured i'm feeling pressure from work to get my deliverables in. I'm feeling pressure to be a good parent. I'm feeling like a bad parent because my kids are spending so much time on iPads and TV and they're mm -hmm. fighting and I'm not able to engage with them because I have to get this project out the door or whatever. Um, it's a very challenging time. Mm -hmm. And like, let's just, yeah, let's just say that and let's just acknowledge that and remind ourselves that this is not normal. This mm -hmm. is weird, man. This is hard, hard. And just the 24 hour parenting and mm -hmm. not getting a break, like, and then people who are alone, you know, and not having physical contact and not having interaction with people like, oh my God, it is so hard. So mm. I think with partners, um, I just sort of, what me and my husband have been doing is just sort of checking in in the morning and just going like, how are you feeling today? How'd you sleep? And that's another thing. We're all noticing that our sleep isn't as great as it is. Mm. Mm. We're all a bit hypervigilant and stressed and stuff. So had you sleep last night? You know, what do you have on for today? What's stressing you out about today? And we just sort of check in because we're home, morning, lunch, and dinner. Um, mm -hmm. We've been trying to eat meals together when we can, my mm -hmm. husband and I, and um, and also obviously just the with the two of you. Yeah, when we can. Mm -hmm. um, depending if we can, kids are our kids are kind of on a different eating schedule. Like I don't know, they eat earlier than we do for mm -hmm. lunch and dinner and stuff. So um, that hasn't worked really, but. Um, just and sitting at the table and just kind of, or maybe we sit in like, we have a spare room. So we've been sitting in there and just trying to eat and just kind of mm. connect. Like mm. I can't emphasize enough how emotion, how connection is like the core of like all of this. And that's the most important thing that um, with our kids and with our partners that it's the same thing with the one-on-one -on -one time. You know, we've been trying to go for walks um, together as a family after dinner which is something we've never done before, but we've been mm. doing that regularly. And then while the kids are off ahead scooting, we can sort of talk and debrief about our day. Um, and then of course, after the kids go to bed, having time to just chat and the temptation I think is to Netflix and chill. And we definitely smashed out um, Tiger King, but um, oh, so did we. If, you, that. <laughs> if you can try to connect first, so kind of say, you know, like, okay, what time is it? Let's just spend 30 minutes debriefing and unpacking about our day mm. what was hard for you today what was what worked well um and then we netflix and chill um that i think is you know there's two meanings to netflix and chill heidi don't you no what are the two, <laughs> what are the two? <laughs> well the other the other meaning uh, we probably not, uh, not we can talk about that in another podcast but netflix <laughs> and chill is a euphemism for something else <laughs> amongst well, the, I'm, I'm <laughs> but i know what you're saying Back when we back when we were growing up, it would have been. Do you want to come over to watch a DVD? Yeah, right. And now, <laughs> generation is Netflix and chill. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. but I'm having that time, I think, yeah, definitely, because you know, me and my partner are, are guilty of that as well. Um, of just having having dinner in front of a, a, yes. a, a series too, um, yep. and not allowing for that time. But you know, like yourself, we we take the dogs for a walk um and that's our time to kind of connect and check in yeah. on each other as well um, and also doing it via text some people um i have some clients who say like oh we don't really talk the greatest but we text really well and doing this with your kids as well especially mm -hmm. adolescents having a text check-in you know hey how are you doing i noticed you were a bit snappy at the kids earlier is everything okay mm -hmm. um and that sometimes is an easier 
space for people to kind of be vulnerable mm. and share how they're feeling. Mm. Um, but also I think a big thing you got to think about in this period to try to ke- build connection is um, I think a couple things, validate and empathize, whatever comes out of your partner's mouth or your kid's mouth, just validate okay, so you're saying you're really frustrated about this. Yeah, I can see why you're feeling frustrated about this. You don't have to agree. You're just validating what they feel and then empathizing. Yeah, I'm finding this hard too. Or I found that really hard. You know, the kids came in earlier. I was on a phone call and the kids came in and it was so frustrating, like empathizing with them. So validating and empathizing with your partner and your kids with whatever they are saying. Mm. Um, But then also the importance of being playful and roughhousing with your kids, um, and being fun, like listening to music. We've been trying to listen to music a lot more, upbeat music that is our music, not theirs. I can only handle so much. Yeah. Frozen, 2. Um, Frozen 2 is an amazing soundtrack, but I can only handle so much. Um, listening to our music that we like that is, you know, for me, it's growing up in LA, it's R&B, <laughs> Snoop and Dre listening to that stuff. That's what, <laughs> that's what we've been listening to. And mm. this music, you know, from our youth and... Um, I don't know, stuff that we like that puts us in a good mood. And then Mm. if we're in a better mood, they're often in a better mood. So Mm. we've been trying to do dance parties as much as we can, um, musical statues as much as we can, just like fun. And especially with kids, the roughhousing stuff is so good for amygdala because it's so playful and beautiful connection. And even I say, if you're going to have a Zoom meeting, try to do some roughhousing or playing with the kids first so you fill their cup. They feel I'm seen, I'm heard, mom, I matter, I'm enough, I'm lovable. You like pour into those cups and then you can go and disconnect for a little bit to do your work or do your meeting. Mm. Well, I like that. Mm. I like that too. I think um, we could continue talking on mm. and on and on oh, about yeah. this and, and, and maybe we will. Maybe we'll yeah. have to do a, a, a second session. But um, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that conversation with you, Heidi and Tash, just kind of mm. uncovering, I suppose, the realities of what we're all facing and some really, mm-hmm. really good strategies that, to make that, the home and that life and the connection with our loved ones um, mm. a little bit better over the next couple of days, weeks and months, hopefully not too many ahead yeah. of us. Um, <laughs> for any schools that might be listening to this, principals and, and wanting to connect with um, with us or Heidi about the session she does in schools, make sure you get in touch with, um, with Heidi or, or, or Team Kids. Heidi, what's your website? Uh, just HeidiRogers.com.au, which is H-E-I-D-I-R-O-G-E-R-S.com.au. Yeah. Awesome. Beautiful. Excellent. Tash, thank you very much. Um, thank you. That was just fabulous. Thank you. Yeah, thank oh, you so much, Heidi. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, my cup is full. (laughs) (laughs) Now go and be great, everybody. (laughs) Now I can get them off the video games now. Yeah. 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 Awesome. All right. Thanks again, Heidi. And uh, look forward to uh, possibly doing another session with you sometime Oh, I'd love to. Yeah, I'd love to. Cool. All right. Thank you. Thanks, guys. See ya. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Team Kids podcast. See you next time.